world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I hail from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flam bay, it's the open run. This past weekend marked another birthday of the late great and honorable Robert Nesta Marley. You might know him better as Bob Marley. And he unified the world and people who didn't know anything about reggae, but it was about what he was saying and not whether you understood the genre or not, or even understood necessarily everything he was saying. But it's about love. And it made me think about the lyric where he says, when that music hit, you feel no pain. Imagine this coming from a person who was almost assassinated in his home because he wouldn't take a stance for one political party over the other. Turbulent times in Jamaica, growing up as a young man, tough guy, nicknamed Tough Gong, lived in a place called Trenchtown in Kingston, Jamaica. The reason it was called Trenchtown is because there was a sewage trench right in the middle of his neighborhood, right where he quote unquote lived, if you want to call living that in that area. From all of that, his music was love. After they tried to kill him in his home, shot him up, he shows up a couple days later at a concert for peace. Gets on stage with two political candidates who were running for prime minister of Jamaica, clasps their hands together. He's in the middle, arm in a sling. Says, one Jamaica, one love. He could have chosen violence. He didn't. I'm glad you chose to listen to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG, and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. I really am in a loving mood today, and maybe it's because some state-mandated day called Valentine's Day which is often confused with that other great holiday, Valentine's Day. People crack me up when they say that. At any rate, I want to send a shout out to one of the most important people in my life who will be celebrating a birthday tomorrow. She gave me something I could never give myself. I want to show her an appreciation on her very special day, so salute to you. She also introduced me to some words when I was in Texas about COVID and how old people, even though I think about, yeah, we're getting close to being those old people. Once you say, like, if you cough in a public spot and someone will ask you, like an older person will ask you, oh, you got the COVID, baby? Not COVID, the COVID. So shouts out to her. And shouts out to Madame Zenobia is getting robbed by Silky Slim. You're like, what the hell is he talking about? The late, great Calvin Lockhart, who introduced us not only to the character of Silky Slim, but to the character Hiawatha Smalls, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, in Let's Do It Again, the Bill Cosby, Sidney Poitier vehicle from the 70s during the exploitation era. The first of that series was called Uptown Saturday Night. 
And Silky Slim was a gangster who was good for robbing people. And he robbed Madame Zenobia's nightclub. And his speech when he was leaving, because, you know, stick-up kids always drop the bars before they leave with your shit, said, never has so few owe so much to so many. I can't do his accent, but it was, it was solid. Shouts out to the Bahamas. And looking around the NFL, even though this is the open run, I can't help but to not only note the retirement of my favorite player of all time, the good doctor, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, the rings of things, just sing him out, bring him out. It's hard to yell when you got seven all up in your mouth. Arguably the greatest football player ever lived. There's no way a guy who's drafted in the sixth round, 199th pick in the league, ends up being that guy. But it's not about Tom Brady, it's about someone who was a coach on Tom Brady's old team, the New England Patriots, who ended up getting a job as a head coach, his first job, as a coach of the Miami Dolphins. As a matter of fact, this team hadn't had back-to-back winning seasons, except for the last two under black head coach Brian Flores, who was fired for winning. He alleges that he was offered bribes by the team owner, Stephen Ross, to lose games to improve their draft position to draft a certain quarterback who happened to play in the state next to Florida, and they won him on their roster. Flores would not barter his integrity to do so. As a result, it was cited that philosophical differences was the reason that he was let go, not necessarily because he helped his team win for the first time in almost two decades, but philosophical differences. So he chose violence. He said, hey, Nah, this shit ain't gonna work, especially with one head coach in the NFL. Nah, not going for it. I gotta tell it. He's a snitch. Ah, I doubt it because other people started coming out. And I don't want to, in any shape, form, or fashion, diminish what the Me Too movement was about. But this was a Me Too moment for black coaches in the NFL who have to be twice as good to get half as much. Reminded me of the Silky Slim quote from Uptown Saturday Night. The NFL owes, and it's not about begging, the NFL owes a debt of gratitude to the players who make it possible for the NFL to even exist on the scale that it does. That includes the coaches who started off as linebacker coaches or DB coaches, whatever the case might be, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, to get the opportunity to coach men they coached before. Shouts out to Eric the Enemy, by the way. But that doesn't happen once you get toward the highest rung of the ladder in the NFL. So I'm glad that Brian Flores chose violence. He chose the fight. And I hope that it turns out well. But the spin is already in. Trust that. The shield will protect the shield. And he became the sacrificial lamb for every other black coach or multiracial coach that's out here getting gigs. Shouts out to Mike McDaniel on his new gig in Miami. The multiracial Mike McDaniel, who all of a sudden became multiracial because he said, my grandmother and father are black. He'd been walking around for years, identifying as white. But hey, who's counting? You know who else is fighting? Another multiracial person. Shouts out to WNBA no longer free agent, Liz Cambage, easily the hottest fire brand in the league, who made a statement before she moved on from the Las Vegas Aces to sign with the Los Angeles Sparks. Give them an opportunity to win another championship with the Goomba K sisters in the front line, along with Cambage. It's going to be tough to beat up front. But she made a statement because, in the words of that immortal Negro poet, Demetrius Jamel Morant, in whom you must trust, she ran straight up the chimney. She wasn't dodging no smoke. She gave it to the WNBA. She gave it to 
And, and I guess you could call it shade toward Becky Hammond, but it's true. Becky Hammond, the new coach of the Las Vegas Aces, makes four times as much as former MVP Brianna Stewart, who signed a Supermax deal, a Supermax deal, one-year deal, Supermax at $228,000. Becky Hammond, highest-paid coach in the league, she's making over a million. People say, oh, the league doesn't make that much money. Yeah, but the coach should make that much more than the players who make the league go. So she fought, and then she bounced. I don't know what her check is looking like, but maybe you were pocket watching here on the podcast today. And I don't talk about this to make a comparison between these women because we want to see all women succeed in this sport, all athletes. I'm always a players guy. Male, female, however you gender identify, I'm always about the players. So I want to see them all get what they earn and be treated fairly. But I also want to see coaches like Brian Flores, like Lovey Smith, like Jim Caldwell, qualified men get the job and get paid accordingly. But ha, I said it was about love today. So I want to show some love to NBA All-Star Weekend, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Less than two weeks, as a matter of fact. Trade deadline is coming up. Lots of movement. We'll talk about that later on in the podcast. Now that the starters have been selected, as well as the reserves, I want to review some of the athletes who are allegedly snubbed in each conference. As a matter of fact, when I look at the East, I know for sure that Jared Allen, from the Cleveland Cavaliers, the very surprising Cleveland Cavaliers. Should have been an all-star selection. Nothing against Chris Middleton. James Hart, that's a whole nother issue. I don't think he's an all-star. It's my opinion, it doesn't really matter, but I just let it be known. And of course, I thought that LeMelo de France ball should have been on that list. But I'm gonna add them to my snubs this year from the Eastern Conference and then the West. There's only one really, to tell you the truth. If they want to call it a snub, I don't know if I can call it a snub. We had Trey Young play on one of the worst teams in the league, and he made he started in the All-Star game. So the process is not necessarily rooted in whether you win or lose, but the popularity of the game and also what you've been able to accomplish. Now look at Jante Murray in San Antonio, averaging 19, 8, 8, and 2. I think I talked about this last week. Those are tough numbers. Could he have been a snub? Possibly, but he's not going to step over Paul Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, and Luka Lamar, the Don Doncic. That's not going to happen. So it's a stunt? Probably not. And Anthony Davis didn't play enough games. Stiff wind will blow him down and put him on the injured reserve list for another two, three weeks. Is he an all-star? I doubt it. But when you look at his raw numbers, you can make a case for it. You can also make a case for someone who is in the three-point shooting contest. Now, if you didn't realize this already, the competitors have been named. Fred Van Vliet, first-time All-Star. He's there. My man Desmond Bain from the Memphis Grizzlies. He'll be in the competition. I said this at the beginning of the season. I said this last season that this rookie was one of the top three-point shooters in the league. He's going to be even better the next year, and so be it. He is doing that right now. Imbued with the confidence injected into that team by the guy I always talk about. And Demetrius Jamel, you must trust. Devin Booker's in the three-point contest. Clay Alexander Thompson coming back to prove a little something in the contest again. Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics on the five-game losing strike right now. Shouts out to them making their move in the East. Patty Mills, the Australian bronze medalist from the Olympics this past year in the mix. And last but not least, Russell Westbrook. No people are going to laugh. But he's choosing violence, and I respect that. Frank Vogel, his coach, even said, I don't know why he's not an all-star. And I mean, if you feel like 
DeJounte Murray was a snow in 1988-8. Guess who else is averaging 19 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists every single night? On better field goal shooting than Wardell Stephen Curry II, James Edward Harden Jr., Paul Anthony George, and the Medal of France Bowl. You guessed it, Russell Westbrook, who was recently benched again, this time in an overtime win by the Lakers over the New York Knickerbockers. And I missed the beautiful violence that I once described this game as. I missed that from Russell. I'm not necessarily a fan, but I can respect that. And it goes back to when I predicted that the Oklahoma City Thunder would not win a championship in 2012 against the Miami Heat because of the way that Russell played. So maybe I always knew. Now it's just a reckless indifference. And that's sad. But we don't want you to be indifferent. And we want you to come back for more on the other side of this on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Recently, there's been some trouble with the $100 million man at Spotify, Joe Rogan, a fellow comedian and friend of Russell Peters. Some things have been unearthed about Joe outside of what we already knew. Spotify is doubling down in support, much like Netflix did with Dave Chappelle. Different reasons, of course, but the right to free speech, some things are not subject to that, however. Lots of videos, apparently, of Joe Rogan utilizing the N-word. I've always found that funny, the N-word. Like, there are a bunch of words that start with N. Like, never, no, like, eh. We always know what that means. And if we have to say that, then it's automatically wrong. We know that, correct? Or at least, it's not politically correct. At any rate, videos or audio of Joe utilizing the N-word quite liberally, Somebody might say, well, he was quoting someone else saying that. It's like going to a rap concert. And right when it gets to that part, like the N-words in Paris with Kanye and the artist formerly known as Sean Corey Carter, do white people edit themselves when they're rapping, especially around other black people? Well, if you know you can't say it around black people, why fight so hard to say it in the first place? But whatever. Does this mean that Joe Rogan's a bad person? Depends on what we know about him, what he's exhibited, what he's shown. Russell's a good friend. He made a tweet and was very emphatic about knowing who Joe Rogan was. I want to ask Russell about that. I want to talk to him about that. But there haven't been any tweets and there's been radio silence since that tweet came out. For whatever it's worth, he's still out on his actor age tour on its way down to Texas. Hoping to... Connect with him, get some of my people down there, out to a show or two. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I couldn't tell you. We spoke on the phone. We had a long conversation last week. And then, you know, he's been on tour. So, 
I don't know if that tweet had anything to do with why he's not here today, but we are going to proceed because the show, as they say in the business, must go on. So I was going to talk about one of my favorite jokes of his that I saw him perform at Massey Hall, legendary concert theater here in Toronto, where he tells about his immigrant father, South Asian descent, making himself more Canadian. So they barbecued a lot and they talked about having this backyard and becoming more Canadian, buying an American car, at least a Canadian car. And he goes, Russell, Russell, I can't believe we're here and flourishing in this life. I'm so happy. I went out and bought your mom and I a new vehicle, the Pontiac. Most people who are listening to this today might not even remember Pontiac as a GM line or a line under the General Motors umbrella or even a car company at all. This is Russell. I purchased a car for myself and your mom. The Pontiac Goose. And like, what the hell is the Pontiac Goose? So Russell goes outside, looks at the back of the car, and it's a Pontiac 600 SE. I don't even know if that's a real car or not, but I always thought the joke was funny. I can't deliver it the same way he does. That's why he's the comedian. I was going to wish him a happy Chinese New Year. Talk about the year of the water tiger. That every 60 years, this, this is the year of the water tiger. And why the water tiger? Because it's action-oriented. and represents strength, bravery, and clearing away of evil. It's a good thing to be. I kind of dig that. I like that how that works. And I think that Russell's on a great path. I was going to talk to him about being a family man, having children, being married. Moving on from when he used to send me boxes of porn to my brother's house. I didn't get it, but, you know, it is what it is. I think my brother still has that, like VHS tapes. That's how long ago it was. About his career in radio and his relationship with another mutual friend, Paul Parhar, better known as Mastermind. You might have heard the great Bobito Garcia and Stretch Armstrong talk about both of us, as a matter of fact, on an interview with Sway Calloway on Sirius XM Shade 4 or 5 radio, Sway in the Morning, and how his love for rap music and hip-hop culture spawn his involvement, like real engagement. And not just what was popular and what was hot, but the roots of the culture. His friendship with Melly Mel and Scorpio from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five cannot be understated. He actually brought them to my class that I teach, a class called UNITY, My Hip Hop Culture is the World's Culture, to speak to my students. Russell was behind that. Russell was one of the investors in the amazing, amazing series called Hip Hop Evolution. It, it's a film that I actually show in my class now. It's part of my curriculum. Now I want to talk to him about this guy who is now the governor of Virginia, potential candidate to run for the presidency in about six years. I don't think he's gonna run in 2024. I don't know if he has enough capital, but you never know. Glenn Youngkin, a former teammate of mine at Rice University, the Harvard of the South, go out. Hootie who? And the first thing he did when he got in office was ban any teaching of critical race theory as a brown man, the brown comic, as he called himself from time to time, as a person of color. I want to get his thoughts on that. Getting a comedian's perspective helps. It's funny. And they can say things in jest that generally are, quote unquote, true. Don't know if Joe Rogan did that. Don't know if Russell would have done that. And perhaps we'll have another episode with him on. But in the meantime, in between time, don't go away because we're coming back with more about Russell Peters and about our relationship 
on the open run with Will Strickland. Stay tuned. somehow, or whatever the case might be, but again, there's been radio silence since a tweet he put out with Joe Rogan. Again, I don't want to speculate too much, but people assume, and I try not to assume, it's not my thing. It makes sense. Until we see him pop up again, it makes sense, but that's my guy. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, I don't have to agree with everything he says or does, and I don't, and vice versa. Looking forward to having him on the show and talking about our relationship and things he's doing with his career and his life and also talking a little basketball. Now, Russell, he's not into basketball like that. More than the boxing, but still has some basketball talk. I mean, everybody goes to NBA All-Star Weekend. Now, don't they? At least celebrities do. He's an international superstar. I am not. So, NBA All-Star Weekend coming up February 18th through the 20th. And a guy who won't be an all-star, but is in the Magic Kingdom of Orlando, Robin Lopez, who is known for beating up cartoon characters and Disney characters and mascots around the league, made a suggestion about how to expand All-Star Weekend challenges, even though they're athletes. How about doing something like playing Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune? I'm like, that would have been a great question to ask Russell to see if he would host something like that. Even though he's not really engaged in basketball like that, he told me a story about being at a party with all these different people. He, of course, in, in the mix where he invited to these types of parties. And he was talking to a bunch of people, a bunch of rappers he's familiar with, and then some really tall guy comes up to him, and he starts talking to this tall guy for a long time. Doesn't know who the guy is. Just talking to him, they're having a good conversation. And when he walks away, someone walks up to him and he says, uh, Dude, how is it talking to Dr. J? He's like, Dr. J? I don't know if I believe that. Again, he's going to suspend my disbelief for a minute. It could be true. Maybe he didn't know Dr. J. But I thought that was funny. But anyway, getting back to Robin Lopez, like if Russell is hosting this thing as a celebrity wheel of fortune, or celebrity jeopardy, or even an Uno tournament. Now, I know that in 2016, Dwayne Wade and Stan Socks, uh, which was the partner of his at the time, they held a space tournament. I was at that tournament. Chris Paul was there. Dwayne Wade, Andre Drummond, Danilo Gallinari. Gallinari! He played spades. Ran to my man Joe Branch from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Bunch of people that were there. So I can see Uno being played, but if they played Uno, I have to be in it because I am the greatest UNO champion who ever lived. Yo soy gran campeón del mundo de UNO. Get familiar. I would talk to him about Ty Lawson playing basketball now in Spain, or at least for the time being he was. He was arrested a couple of times, and I, I referenced Jay-Z and Kanye just a little bit ago. 
don't know if he's an N-word in Spain or like the N-word in Paris, but yeah, we're not going to go there. He was arrested for three separate incidents in like a short span of time. The first one was trying to get on a plane unmasked, punched two of the employees, got arrested. Then at two different restaurant incidents, I think he threw a glass and some water on one patron and did the same thing in another restaurant. I'm like, what's going on, my guy? Needless to say, and this is not to make a joke about Ty, that he did have a drinking problem when he was at NBA. Hopefully, he's worked on that. No longer in the NBA, but, you know, wish him well. And hopefully we find out a little bit more about why all this happened in the first place. But best of luck to Ty Lawson. And I'm sure that Russell would have had some jokes for him. I was going to ask him about his starting five all-time top five comedians. I don't know what he would say. And it would have to be by position. Of course, it's the basketball podcast, so it would be by position. But who would yours be? I'd love to see if you could create a starting five all-time comedians and your lesson. Please submit them. I want to be able to give something away. I want to think about that. We'll figure it out. I always give away good prizes. People who have won on the podcast, they know. So who are your top five comedians by position? So if you're not familiar with basketball, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, even though we're playing positionless today. And they don't have to be all male. They can be a male, female, or however they gender identify. Put your list down. Drop your list. Hit me up on my socials. You know how to reach me. Let's make it so. I was going to ask him what his dream gig would be if he were not an internationally famous comedian. Would it be a DJ? A rapper? Surely not a basketball player. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out one day. And then... I was going to ask him a basketball-related question, kind of like people dying of COVID-related deaths. I'm not making a joke about COVID. I just don't like the way they juke the stats by saying someone who was already compromised and sick, when they died, they say it was COVID-related, even if it wasn't COVID-related. But that's the business of this thing, too. Whether we want to admit that or not, there is a business angle to this whole pandemic that people are taking advantage of, for sure. But if you had to go one-on-one with any comedian in the history of comedy, who would it be and why? Like having them have a, you know, whether you call it this, you know, snapping on each other, capping, the dozens, whatever you call it. You each get 12 punches, almost like a versus for comedians. Yo, well, I'm up here freestyling. That'd be kind of dope. Could be. I know who that comedian would be if he would want to face himself. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And we're going to finish strong here on The Open Run with Will Strickland. So come back right after this. Shouts out to the ladies 
going to do some big ladies first initiatives across the country and hopefully around the world with Full Court 21 and our sponsor partners. More details on that in the weeks and months to come. Shouts out to ESPN for their all-women's crew that they're utilizing during the Golden State-Utah game on the 9th of February. It's already been done in Canada for the Raptors game. They did that already. Okay, not making comparisons, just letting you know. And maybe one day it'll come to the point where we don't even recognize that as something unique. That's just a part of what we do because they're qualified to do the job that they are being paid to do. And they're not some sort of token hire. So shouts out to all the ladies working that crew, Beth Mallins, of course, the incredible Doris Burke. If you see some of her notes, her pregame notes and how detailed they are, it's amazing that she's able to recall a lot of this stuff and the work it goes into really doing a quality play-by-play. Shouts out to Ken Mulkey, the coach of the LSU Lady Tigers. For her 650th win, she's ascended to that number the fastest ever in men's or women's college basketball. So shouts out to her. And shouts out to the number 10 ranked Lady Huskies of the University of Connecticut who defeated the number 7 Tennessee Volunteers in a historic game. I mean, you think about how many great players came from both of those programs under the late Pat Summit and also under Gino Oriema. And star freshman, AZ Fudd, dropped seven three-pointers in her first start en route to 25 points and toppling the Volunteers. So shouts out to them. Shouts out to Christopher Emmanuel Paul and the NBA for the inaugural NBA and HBCU Classic on the 19th of February during All-Star Weekend at Cleveland State. Between Howard and Morgan State, both the NBA and sponsor AT&T will offer $100,000 to both programs to increase their visibility and opportunities for networking and professional development for the players and the staffs around the game because diversity actually matters in some places. Or at least the illusion of it. And I don't want to be a cynic, but at least the NBA is doing something about it actively and putting black and women coaches in positions to succeed and flourish. Number one, Auburn was pushed to the brink by the Georgia Bulldogs as we continue to look at some college basketball here, getting deeper into the conferences and conference season. Number five, Kansas dog walk Baylor. I don't know what's going on in Baylor. Scott Drew still has them competitive. And they have some athletes and guys who came from that core unit, but losing a lot of the guys from that championship team, including my man, off night, Davion Mitchell, means a whole lot. But it's just a loss. I don't know if Tom Izzo's thinking that way as they got trounced by Rutgers. Number 10, Michigan State. Aspirations of being better than what they are, they can't have these off nights like this. You can't be, I mean, I understand that teams lose. To lose in the way they lost. Mm-hmm. You, you can bet the practice after that game was ridiculous because Izzo is known for that. The Big 12 and the Big 10 are easily the best two conferences in college basketball right now. And I could say that on both the men's and women's side. Shouts out to Caitlin Clark. I, I love her game. I know she's jacking up a lot of shots. She's pulling from half court. She's doing Steph Curry logo threes in college basketball. And it's not abnormal now. I love that. She's dropping numbers. People say, oh, your team, her team's not winning. They're 15 and 6. Could they be better? Maybe. But they wouldn't be anything without Kaylin Clark doing what she does every single night when they play. If you haven't seen her play, check it out. 
She's something to watch. Speaking about something to watch and what you invest in, ESPN normally does ESPN game day for football. And it's a big, raucous event. They go to a campus. They get with the student section and all these people that are cheering for them. And Lee Corso puts on, you know, the, the mascot head or the helmet of the team he's choosing that day for the game, who's going to win the game. And they're, they transfer that idea to basketball. What I found interesting was that they had an investment firm who sponsors this. They can't actually do betting on it, so they'll call it an investment firm. And they call it Game Day Investor, and they get X amount of dollars to pick whatever team's going to win this and whatever team's going to win that. You have Lafonso Ellis and Jay Billis and Steph Greenberg, along with Reese Davis, hosting the festivities. And I was just watching this. I couldn't understand why they're doing it. I guess everything has to have a stake and everything has to be sponsored and everything has, and I'm, you know, it just seemed very heavy handed to me and slick in the way that they were setting betting lines without setting betting lines for these college games. Some of the games, because Jay Billis was calling them, he couldn't vote on. So they know they're doing wrong. It's almost like the hiring processes in the NFL. They know they have black players. There's 65% of the league. They know that they're black coaches, but when it comes to hiring, they can't find the right candidate. I don't know. It's just one of those things that troubles me from time to time. But onward and upward, as we see Duke and Coach K's final game at the Dean Dome, curb stomp, University of North Carolina, where they did the game day investor and the whole thing. And if you're going to invest in something, help Kathy Engelberg, the commissioner of the WNBA, as the league just had a $75 million capital raise, which is estimated to be the biggest in women's sports history. And they're offering equity stakes to all those who put forth the effort and, of course, the finance to make that happen, including one Paul Gasol, who's an investor as well and supports the women's game as much as anyone. And I think a lot of it is in tribute to his fallen teammate, the late, great Kogadine Bryant, and his goddaughter, Gianna Bryant. Shouts out to Powell. And let's hope that some of that money is utilized not only helping the infrastructure of the league, but part of that infrastructure is rooted in the players. Obviously, you can't have a league without the players. So maybe we'll see someone get a bigger Supermax contract closer to Becky Hammond's salary of a million plus than Brianna Stewart's Supermax contract in Seattle for $228,000 plus. John Cole Jones, the 2021 MVP of the WNBA, re-signs with the Connecticut Sun on a two-year qualifying deal. As the capital raise for the WNBA goes, does the NBA's salary cap go as well? I doubt it, but seems serendipitous to talk about it, so I will. The NBA's salary cap is going to rise another $12 million to $121 million per year for each team, with the tax threshold of $147 million to be up next year as well. That's good news for teams who want to sign players who are going to look for 50 and $60 million a year contracts. Talk about some injuries around the league. Joe Ingles from the Utah Jazz towards ACL just recently vows to come back even stronger. But will he be coming back with Utah? Has Utah reached their ceiling with that roster, with that team, with the guys who make up that culture there? Joe Ingles is a big part of that. So shouts out to Jingles. Get better soon. Some transactions that went on in the league as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Norman Powell, a man I once called the poor man's Russell Westbrook when he was coming out of the UCLA. Same kind of build, athleticism. You know, couldn't shoot necessarily when they came out of college. They were just athletes, great athletes who could play the game. Norman Powell's worked at his game, become a proficient three-point shooter, and someone who can score. 
is moving on from the Portland Trailblazers along with Robert Covington, classic 3 and D guy who hasn't really done much of either in Portland, to a better situation in Los Angeles with the Clippers. Ashley came up in this deal as they got rid of Eric Bledsoe, Justin Winslow, along with picks. I didn't know they had well, future considerations. So that future is like the second round pick in 2056 because OKC has all their picks for the next 50 years or so it seems. But it's a good look for the Clippers, Norman Powell being the third wheel behind Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who team president Lawrence Frank and the head coach Tyron Lue are intimating that neither one of these guys will be back this season. They could have rounded up the wagons and said, hey, we're going to tank this thing, but there's no benefit in that for them. And Steve Bowman is the richest owner in pro sports. He's not going to tank. So they're playing well, and Coach Ty Lue is coaching his ass off. Shouts out to you guys. I never believed that I would ever say shouts out to the L.A. Clippers. But here I am saying that. At any rate, the Players of the Week this past week in the National Basketball Association, Joel Hans and Bede from the Eastern Conference, you know the numbers he's dropping. Historic numbers. Dark Horse MVP candidate from the Western Conference, Christopher Emmanuel Paul, who's putting up Steve Nash-like numbers, not getting Steve Nash-like considerations. Speaking of Stephen John Nash, embrace your special day, sir, as his birthday was just yesterday. And while we're in Phoenix, let's move on to the Power 10. At number one, the Phoenix Suns, who recently had their second 11-game losing strike snap, this time by the Atlanta Hawks. They have the best record and best start in franchise history, so salute to them. At number one, the Golden State Warriors on a quiet eight-game losing strike themselves at number two. At number three, the team that leads the league in steals, rebounds, and block shots, the Memphis Grizzlies. At number three, the Memphis Grizzlies. At number four, the Miami Heat. At five, the Chicago Bulls. Shouts out to my man, Vucci Man. I think he could have been a snub from the Eastern Conference now that I think about that as well. One of the top three teams in the East doesn't have... Uh, they already had two All-Stars, so maybe Bucci Man was a reach, but he's played well enough to them for them to be considered. So there it is. Live with it. The Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning defending NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks at number five. They're on the move as well. The Cleveland Cavaliers at six. At seven, the Philadelphia 76ers under Joel Embiid. And we'll talk about his teammate in a second. The Utah Jazz getting Donovan Mitchell back. Playing a little bit better basketball, even though there are rumors that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are still not getting along. You don't have to get along. You just have to play basketball. Could be a problem in Salt Lake City. At 10, the Denver Nuggets rounding out our Power 10 this week. And I'm going to shout out my man Jermaine, Nikola Jermaine Jokic. The second round pick, first one to be named MVP. I don't count Willis Reed in that, so don't say anything to me about it if you're an historian like myself, but Nikola Jokic, to be mentioned in the same sentence as Wilton Norman Chamberlain, as he collected his league-leading 14th triple-double, putting him at 71 for his career and reaching for the most ever by a center in NBA history, the guy with that record, Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, who's matching any records of Wilt Chamberlain? This man has over 90 records in the NBA, and for Nikola Jokic to be mentioned in that same sentence is amazing. So shouts out to Nicola Jermaine, and that's J apostrophe M-A-Y-N-E. Give it up for him. Before we get out of here, I want to talk about the logo, Jerry West. 
who over the past couple of years has chosen violence himself in dissing the team that he helped to make famous. Jerry West was an integral part. No matter how many times he lost in the finals, he won once at the end of his career. I think he went to the finals nine times, ten times, won once. And was told by the last owner before Jeannie Buss took over, her father, Dr. Jerry Buss, who brought in the idea of Showtime, brought in a guy, we'll, we'll talk about him in a second. But Jerry West was still in the franchise and said he would have tickets for life. He would always be a Laker, always be a part of that franchise. Calling the Lakers a shit show and talking about how Kawhi was going to make the Clippers better as an executive there across the hallway in the then Staples Center, now the Crypto.com Arena, and was served notice that he would no longer get free tickets to the Lakers games by someone in the office there of the Lakers because they called his wife. They didn't call Jerry directly. He felt that was cold, so he aired it. And, you know, the media, what was Steve? He thought it was low class, didn't think it was classic. And I'm like, oh, kind of tough when they got you on audio, when they got you on tape saying some, some of the things you said. But I get it, he's the logo. The NBA won't even pay him, even though they know, and you can verify it, that the picture or the logo is the picture of Jerry West dribbling a basketball. They say they don't know, they won't pay him. That's a, a different type of violence. And... All the credit that Jerry West will get for making a totally imbalanced trade to get Pau Gasol by sending the great Kwame Brown and Javaris Crittenden. I don't know what his prison number is today. So to somebody you know. And considerations for Pau Gasol to help the Lakers go to the finals in three consecutive years, 2008, 2009, 2010, winning two of them. He'll get credit for bringing on the greatest 13th pick in NBA history, Kobe Bean Bryant, who surpassed Jerry West as the Lakers' all-time leading scorer. But he won't get credit for deciding to choose in 1979 what he really wanted as the GM there at the time, a 6'4 athletic defensive guard by the name of Sidney Moncrief, who eventually, we found out, had really bad knees, even though he was a stout competitor on both ends of the floor and well-respected around the league for his career. Jerry West wanted Sidney Moncrief over one Irvin Magic Johnson. Dr. Jerry Buss was like, nah, dog. I see the value in this guy who was a unicorn to the league at the time. The six foot nine point guard in the fast-paced NBA? Yeah, showtime. Here it is. We got that. Dr. Buss saved Jerry West from himself in that pick. Who can't save himself from himself is Ben Simmons in the same line of Jerry West. He's mad because Joel Embiid allegedly called him out for a poor play in the playoffs. He didn't have to call him out. It was right there. On, on. We can see it. We see you passed up a layup because, or dunk because you didn't want to go to the free throw line, because you were afraid of the moment, because you were afraid of your social media following. You're going to get dragged in these rough interweb streets. It happens. It's part of the business. You chose this. Said he was mad that Joel Embiid called him out for his poor play. When Joel Embiid played poorly in 2019 against the Raptors, really dog. People say, man, you've been fined $19 million this season. You can lose up to $31 million this year. I'm like, well, you can't lose anything you didn't have. And it's guaranteed money. He's going to get it back somehow, some way. No matter how much they fine you, they just will tell the checks. It's a guaranteed contract. He shows up to practice every day. He just doesn't play. They can't say he's fit to play because he's citing mental health issues. They're going to have to pay him that money anyway. So he didn't lose anything other than face, other than respect around the league. But what is that to a guy who's got a guaranteed contract like that, right? And no trade value, clearly. 
Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal, a guy once really sensitive about everything around him, called Ben Simmons out, said Ben Simmons DM'd him or texted him or something. He told him, stop acting like a baby. Or I'd rather translate that in the words of the late, great Sean Biggs Green, Toronto playground basketball legend, who said he was soft like porridge. And you can say what you want to say about Jerry West. You can say what you want to say about Ben Simmons and their decision-making and how they deal with things. People are going to deal with things differently. I get it. We want to make sure you continue to deal with us because you don't want to get your clothes folded while you're still wearing them. I'm not choosing violence today. I'm choosing to let you know that do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich Kid, My Mellow Mind.